Hi, welcome to Moments with Marilyn. I'm your host, Marilyn Boyer, the mom of 14 homeschool kids who love the Lord and love each other. I absolutely love young moms, and it's my privilege and passion to give you tips and tools to make your journey easier. Some things I did were right, some things I did were wrong, and if I can help you by sharing that stuff, I love to do that. So thank you for joining us today. Today is the second part of teaching your kids how to deal with anger and preventing it, you know, hopefully preventing it. Um, so we stopped. You, you might want to listen to last week's podcast to get the groundwork. But we kind of stopped at the point of 25 ways that parents provoke their kids to anger. And I had told you last week that Lou Priolo's book, The Heart of Anger, is a great resource for dealing with angry kids or anger yourself. And as a matter of fact, I'm only talking about a few things he mentions in this book. But at the end of the book, he gives conflict journals, how to have your kids do anger journals and track when they get angry and write down what they were thinking. So he gives a lot of practical helps. If you've if this is a huge problem in your home, either yourself or your kids, he gives a lot of practical examples how to learn to put off anger. Okay, so let's get on with um, ways that parents can provoke the kids to anger. And usually this is not something that you are choosing to do, but it's just kind of happening as a byproduct of sin in our own lives. The first one is lack of marital harmony. When a child reserves resentment, resentment modeled by the parents who are at odds with each other, he becomes more susceptible to acquiring those bitter thoughts, actions, and motives that he sees modeled in his parents. And we, you know, last week we were saying that it all starts out by wounding. A child is wounded, either a perceived hurt or a real hurt. And if that's not dealt with, he becomes bitter. If bitterness is not dealt with, anger develops. And then if anger is not dealt with properly, stubbornness develops, insubordination, and then rebellion. So our goal is to not follow those steps, but to, to nip it in the bud and to deal with anger when it happens and help our kids learn how to understand what's going on in their heart and changing their heart by the word of God, the truth of the word of God. Okay, the second reason, establishing and maintaining a God-centered home. And we talked about that in the last session. We talked about what a God-centered home is as opposed to a child-centered home. A child-centered home, let me just say, I, I love this. In a God-centered home, we serve rather than be served. We honor rather than be honored. We give rather than take. And I think, especially when you're homeschooling, it's so easy to focus on the child. You know, we want them to have all these these activities. We want them to have all these experiences. We want to build this well-rounded child. And instead, we need to teach them to invest themselves in others. Instead of it all being about you, we need to teach them to be all about others, and it's so important. Um, the rod and reproof give wisdom, Proverbs 29, 15 tells us, but a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. 
So we need to use that rod in a wise way. And I've got other podcasts where we talk about that, how to correct your children. And we talked a little bit last week, obedience is cheerfully, immediately, and thoroughly. We need to teach those aspects to our kids. We can't just let our kids go their own way because their own way is sinful and they're going to bring shame to their mother. The third way is modeling sinful anger. When you or your spouse are modeling sinful anger, you are inadvertently teaching your children that the only way to solve their problems is to win a battle of the wills. And if you struggle with anger, you need to read this book and you need to learn how to put off anger and put on self-control. You know, we, our kids are not our enemies, and we need to not struggle to win a battle. We need to not encourage having a battle with our kids. You know, they need to learn to obey you. We need to not have this battle going on where we're angry, screaming at each other back and forth, because the soul of the child needs to be our concern, not whether we win the battle. It's so important. It's so important when you are, are yelling at your kid, when you're demonstrating anger, there's no way they're going to listen to you to not be angry. It's counterproductive. It just won't happen. Number four, when you habitually discipline when you're angry, angry, discipline needs to be for the child's good, not because his behavior caused you embarrassment or discomfort or made you angry. You are to discipline for their benefit. You know, if I was struggling with my attitude when my kids did something, I would say, okay, you sit here and read quietly. Mom's going to go to her room because I'm struggling with my attitude. I'm going to talk to God and get my, my focus right and then come back and we'll talk about this problem. And there's nothing wrong with that. You are modeling the correct way to handle anger when you do that. Do not correct your kids in anger because it's counterproductive. You're going to build anger in your kids. You're going to wound their spirit, and they're going to go on that, um, those steps we just talked about. Scolding is another way to wound their spirit. Ephesians 4.29, um, it's different versions say different things, but we would tell our kids, um, I think it's New American. Anyway, it says, say only what is good and helpful to those you're talking to and what will give them a blessing. That was three guidelines. Was what you said good? Was it helpful? Did it give them a blessing? If not, you need to change your words. What should you have said, or should you have just been quiet? But that is such a good um, model, questions to ask. Was it good? Was it helpful? Did it give the others a blessing? Don't try to correct a child if you're out of control. You'll have utter failure. Number six, you know, you kind of see a pattern here, don't you, that we as parents need to learn these things ourselves and then teach them to our kids. But we can learn together. Don't be discouraged if it is a struggle for you. As your kids see you deal with it in a godly, scriptural, biblical way, you're teaching them how to deal with sin in their own life. So, you know, God puts you together, gives you the kids that you have, and kind of plans your life curriculum, if you will. So don't feel bad. If you're struggling with something, just start learning it yourself, and your kids are going to see that pattern. It's going to teach them how to deal with sin in their own life. 
Number six, if you're inconsistent with discipline, you need to have consistent rules. I told you in the last podcast, I remember some of my kids coming to me, hey, mom, um, never mind. This is a question for dad because they thought dad would be easier on this issue than mom. So you need to have consistent rules. Get with your husband and decide this is going to be our, our rules that we're going to have for our home. And then don't change what you discipline from from day to day. You know, the kids should know what to expect and that being corrected is not dependent on the parent's emotional, spiritual, or physical condition. And I know my husband grew up in a, a home where it kind of depended on his dad's behavior as to whether he would get disciplined. His, dad's, his dad was an alcoholic, and if his dad came in struggling with that, um, he was going to get disciplined for something he might not otherwise. So, you know, we want to have consistent rules. Don't have double standards. Don't say, do as I say, not as I do. Because when you do that, you're a hypocrite. And that is one of those things that provokes your child to wrath. You can't parent correctly that way. Number eight, being legalistic. My mom grew up in a legalistic family. I never met my grandparents on her side because they died before I was born. But it sounded to me like they may have been Christians, but they were very legalistic, and they had a set of rules that they never explained to my mom. And she totally rejected the faith and went totally the other way. Um, so you need to not be legalistic. Now, there are some things that are unchangeable. God's rules are unchangeable. So in your home, you need to have two sets of rules. One is God's rules. These are eternal. They never change. Do not lie. Um, do not commit adultery. Honor your parents. These rules do not change. They're God's rules. But there's another set of rules. There's like when you take out the garbage or what time you go to bed. And you've got to have these rules in your home, but you need to read differentiate them between your rules and God's rules. God's rules don't ever change. They stay the same. But your rules might change. And you need to let your kids know that they can appeal to you for some of those rules. I remember when my husband was taking one of my sons to apprentice him on the drywall job, and he would come home tired. And it was his job to wash the dishes after supper. And he came to me and he said, Mom, I get so tired being at work all day, don't you think maybe it's time to train one of the younger kids to wash the dishes at night? And I said, yeah, you know, I just never thought about that. But he was right. So those are rules that can change as the situation demands it. But God's rules stay the same. So we never, we should not put our house rules up on the pedestal of God's rules. They're two different things. Another way to is, is not admitting you're wrong and asking for forgiveness. James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another. And as a family, we need to help each other. You know, if you wrong your kids, ask their forgiveness. Go back and tell them, hey, I was wrong when I corrected you this way or when I said such and such or when I assumed that you had done wrong. Go back and ask their forgiveness, because if you don't, that can be one of those things that wounds your kid's spirit. The tenth way, constantly finding fault. 
You know, as a parent, we must use God's terms and point out sinful behavior. But we, can, we should not be critical, condemning, and accusing, and picky, and judgmental. You know, this leads the child to assume that he can never please the parent. And we don't want to do that. You know, we need to train our kids how to do our chores, for instance. And I've got another podcast on that. I interviewed Vicki Bentley, and she's got a beautiful resource on training your kids how to do chores. And she's got it all laid out, like what is involved in each chore, so your kids know in advance. It's a great way to train them. And it's so much better to train your kids than to be picky and say, you didn't do this right, this isn't right, and being critical of what they do. Uh, the 11th way, not listening to your child's opinion or taking his side of the story seriously. Proverbs 18.3 says, He who gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame to him. Don't be quick when you're dealing with your kids to spit out the answer. Listen. Learn to ask wise questions and let them talk through. That way you see what's going on in their heart. Even if you know the answer to the problem, don't be so quick to spit it out. Just listen to them, hear them, let them know that you care about how they feel. And then you can really help them deal with what's going on in their heart. But to help them deal with what's going on in their heart, you have to understand it. So don't be the answer man. Don't think you just got to spit out the answers before you listen. Okay, another way we can provoke our kids to anger is comparing them to others. 2 Corinthians 10, 12 says, but they measure themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. We are not to compare themselves, compare them to their siblings or anybody else. It's just not right. They're different people. God created them differently. Their strengths are going to be different than their brothers and their sisters or you know, someone outside the family. So we should not compare our kids to others. The only thing we should compare them to is God's standard of right or wrong so that they can strive to be more godly, but not comparing them to other people. Thirteenth reason, not making time to just talk. Sometimes parents are too busy with life to communicate that their child is important to them, and that's not going to build strong relationships. There were many times when I had a busy house, lots of kids, older kids and younger kids, that I would notice one of the older kids just kind of hanging around at bedtime. And that was kind of my cue. They need to talk about something. So a lot of my talks, the best talks I had with my teen kids was 11 o'clock at night or after everyone else in the house was asleep. So you need to make time for them. And it's not always convenient. You know, you might rather sleep. Um, but you need to communicate that they're important to you. Or, or if you can't do it when they feel a need to talk, let them know that it's important to you and you will clear your schedule to make a time to take them out for ice cream or, or whatever so that you can talk about what they need to talk about. The 14th reason is not praising or encouraging them enough. You know, as parents, we need to correct wrong behavior, but I think sometimes we get so focused on that that we don't see the right behavior, the good things our kids are doing. We need to bathe our kids in a solution of praise. It's been said, and I don't, I don't know if this is actually true or not, but there should be five praises for one correction. And I don't think you can 
get it down to that much of a system, but you need to be lavish in your praise on your kids. When you correct them, make sure you're not being picky. Make sure you do it according to God's word. But lavish the praise on them when they do right. Not things like, oh, you look so pretty today. But point out their character. Point out the things they're doing right. Or if, even when they're trying to do right. Even if they're failing, but they're really trying. Lavish that praise on. When your kids know that you care more about them than you do about yourself, they're going to be open to your correction when that time comes. And praise is one of those ways. Honest praise is one of those ways to communicate to your kids that you care more about them than you do about yourself. Fifteen, failing to keep promises. We need to swear to our own hurt and change not, as the scripture says. Disappointment can lead to anger. And sometimes stuff happens. I mean, you might promise to go on a picnic and it rains and you can't do it. You know, that's beyond your control. Or sometimes something will happen. Somebody gets sick and you need to attend to their needs so you can't do what you promised with the other child. I did used to tell my kids, I'm not going to promise. I'm going to do my best to do this. But sometimes God changes our schedule. So don't be quick to promise. But do be quick to keep your commitments when it's within your power to do that because you are telling your kids that you care more about them than yourself when you do that. Number 16, another way to provoke your kids to anger is chastening in front of others. If it's a public sin, then you can verbally rebuke them, but never physically. If it's not public, don't even rebuke them verbally in front of others. If they did something in front of all their siblings, sure, you can verbally correct them, but don't ever physically correct them in front of the others. Number 17, not allowing enough freedom. Now, freedom is not something that comes with age. I remember one of my daughters would say, when I'm 18, you know, freedom and does not come with age. It comes with being responsible. And that's what you need to communicate to your kids. When they are faithful with responsibility, they earn more responsibility. When they successfully fulfill their responsibilities, then they can earn more freedom. But we need to be sure that we give them freedom. You know, when we realize that our kids are competent to make biblically wise decisions, we need to not overprotect them. And I see a lot of that in the homeschooling movement, that we want to protect our kids from everything. We need to let them make some decisions on their own. Sometimes you have to learn by failing. Now, I'm not meaning big, huge things. Don't let them walk across the street and get hit by a car. But let them have some freedom in making some decisions because they will learn from that. And also share with them times when you made unwise decisions and how you learned from it. Because our kids can learn so much from, from the example of others, people in scripture, people in real life. 18, on, kind of on the other hand, is allowing too much freedom. Kids need the security of rules. They need discipline. They need to know that when they are responsible, you'll allow more freedom. But don't just have hands off and let your kids do whatever because kids need the security of rules and discipline. And as you see that they're handling that well, then you give them more. But don't just throw them out there without letting them build that responsibility and that trust. Number 19, mocking 
the child. Don't make fun of them, even just in jest, because things can hurt. You know, you might get a laugh out of people around you, but if you've just wounded your child's spirit, it is not worth it. Another one is unrealistic expectations. 1 Corinthians 13, 11 says, When I was a child, I used to speak as a child, think as a child, reason as a child. Some parents expect their kids to be little adults. They really don't understand that their kids are kids and that they have to grow in these different areas. So don't expect more out of your child than they are mature enough to handle. Also, don't expect more out of your kids than you do out of yourself. I see a tendency sometimes to do that. Parents will say, well, I've trained my kids this way. I wasn't trained this way. You know, they need to act responsibly. They need to do the right thing. But if, if you're requiring more of them than you are of yourself, it is counterproductive. It's not going to work. Then, words. We need to teach our kids to choose their words carefully. Proverbs 15.28 says, The heart of the wise studies how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours forth evil. Words are so important. And we need to teach our kids about their words. To do that, we develop this resource for our kids, Words of Wisdom. And when I put this together, I just went through the scripture and I looked up all the different kinds of words that are used in scripture. And I was shocked. I did not think scripture talked that much about our words. Just let me give you a few examples. Acceptable words, bitter words, blasphemous words, bold words, contentious words, comforting words, exhorting words, feigned words, few words, flattering words, Foolish words, guileless words, hasty words, idle words. I mean, there's so many different kinds of words that are talked about in Scripture with guidance for guarding our tongue. So we would take our kids through this study so they would learn what God said about words. We need to give our kids wisdom in choosing their words wisely. Words can motivate, they can encourage, they can heal, they can help resolve conflict, or... They can tear down, they can discourage, they can belittle, they can wound. And we don't want to do that with our own kids. We want to teach them to build others up and encourage others. You know, if your kids can get a hold, a handle on their words when they're young, when they're in your home, they are going to steer away from a lot of problems in life if they can learn to control that tongue. And we need to teach our kids. That's one of our jobs, to teach them that. You know, the more disciplined a parent is, the more likely he's going to be, be in succeeding in child training. That is so true. But don't lose heart because, as I said, it's powerful learning when your kids see you learn along with them. You know, you can go through this resource with your kids and learn about words. You'll be amazed at what Scripture says about your words. And then just the words that you choose are important, but also your tone of voice. Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. If you are saying something that's true, right, and correct, but you're saying it in a harsh tone of voice, it can still wound your kids. Proverbs 16.23 says, The wise in heart will be called prudent, and sweetness of lips increases learning. If you use sweetness of lips, your kids are going to be so much more open to your instruction. They're not going to shut you out as, if, as they will if you wound their spirit in the tone of voice that you use. 
Sometimes you need to take a step back and listen to yourself, see what you sound like when you're talking to your kids. You know, we always told our kids, you don't have to like it, you just have to do it. And so often that's true in life. We have to do things we don't enjoy. God doesn't expect us to like everything we do, but he expects us to do what he says in his word, and he will give us the blessing of obedience. We need to teach that principle to our kids as we learn it ourselves. Biblical discipline involves correcting wrong behavior. I love this. This is what Lou Priolo says. I got this sentence from him. Biblical discipline involves correcting wrong behavior by practicing right behavior with a right attitude for the right reason until right behavior becomes habitual. Let me say that again. Biblical discipline involves correcting wrong behavior by practicing right behavior with the right attitude for the right reason until right behavior becomes habitual. That's our job as parents, to implement that in our own life and to lead our kids to doing that too. That's what it is wrapped up in a nutshell. So as we close, just let me tell you again, helpful resources that we have for you. There's Lou Priolo's book, Heart of Anger. And as I say, he goes through anger journals. If you're really struggling with anger, if your kids are, there's practical journals to record when you mess up and to realize what was going on in your heart and to come up with a plan for putting off the wrong behavior and putting on the right behavior. There's also Growing in Wisdom. As I told you, the very first chapter in Growing in Wisdom is about anger. And your kids, all kids need this. Everybody needs this. But it's learning what God's word says about anger. It's not you saying, don't be angry. That's wrong. You're telling them what God says about anger. They're learning for themselves from the wisdom of the word what God's word says. And they're learning from examples in scripture of people that got angry and had consequences. And then we want to teach them to have servants' hearts, as we talked about in the first podcast. Uh, character and action is chock full of practical ways to teach your kids to serve others. You need to do that. You need to teach your kids to be others-focused, service-focused, and not to be selfish and self-focused. And it's so in, in the, the world that we live in to be self-focused. We need to work extra hard to teach our kids to be others-focused and service-focused. And lastly, words of wisdom. If your kids can get a handle on their words while they're young, they're going to be way ahead of people around them. So these are practical helps. We will give links in the show notes to these things. And if you have any ideas or comments, we would love to hear from you. Please share it with us. And thank you so much for joining us today. I hope this has been helpful to you, whether you've got little kids starting out or whether you've got kids that are working in that process to becoming angry people. And we want to stop it wherever it's at and learn to serve God together as a family. So you have a good week. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.